Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then everything changed when the Cabbage Corp podcast began. Hey, this is Josh. And this is Christian. And welcome to the Cabbage Corp podcast. The Cabbage Corp podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you like to listen to your favorite podcast. Head to anchor.fm slash cabbagecorppod to find the podcast app of your choice. Also, for our Korean listeners, don't worry, we are also on Podbang. If you like this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, and share. We love to hear from all of you guys, so leave comments and reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Welcome back, Cabbage Heads. We're in Season 2 of the Cabbage Corp Podcast. And uh, the Cabbage Corp Communications has been a little... uh, a little rough the past couple of weeks. I will yeah. admit, Christian and I were uh, dealing with some things on our own end as we watched and filtered through these episodes that uh, that truly have shaken the foundation of who I am as a person. Christian, how are we feeling? We feeling more enlightened today? We're we feeling more encouraged today. Definitely a lot more hopeful for this ending because we know sure. what's coming. We we know the reunion is coming. Oh man, we're gonna we're keeping our fingers crossed for the re- reunion, but um, you know what? Spoiler alert: there's a reunion coming. Okay, we're not even gonna be dramatic about it. Appa is back in our yes. lives, and we're very happy about that. Today we're covering episodes 16 and 17. I know last episode we said today's episode would be the last of the season, but we decided to save episode 18 for its own Cabbage Corp episode. So this is the penultimate. We have one more after this because we wanted to focus on reunion tactics, but also bossing say as this fascinating, terrifying civilization. Yeah. So next week, we are going to cover episode 18 and 19, which will be our last episode for season two. Man, it's already been a journey so far, Christian, but uh, tell the people, tell the good people listening at home, where exactly we find ourselves in the Avatar State Totals and the Power Rankings or Cabbage Corp. So the Avatar state total is a total of nine and the power ranking is actually the same as last week because it was just too sad for us to give any points anywhere. So Katara is in the lead with four points. Aang and Sokka are tied for second at three points. Zuko and Uncle Iroh are at two points and Azula and Toph at one point. We decided in our professional podcast opinion that last week's episode was too sad. That's the official excuse. That's the official yes. thing on the paper because um, no one deserved a point. It was a horrible episode for all involved, especially your hosts here. And uh, we're moving forward now. Hopefully we can award some points today. Yes, hopefully. And with that, let's get into episode 16. While the gang search for Appa, they run into none other than the reformed freedom fighter himself, Jet. The group wary of Jet's true intentions follow him after he shares his desire to help find Appa. Meanwhile, Zuko and Uncle Iroh are at odds about what each of them want from their new life in Bossing Say. The episode ends with a tragedy, but also with a long-awaited reunion of Appa and the gang. Now for some of our favorite quotes of the episode. Have you ever thought that I wanted more from life than a nice apartment and a job serving tea? There is nothing wrong with a life of peace and prosperity. I suggest you think about what it is that you want from life and why. I want my destiny. Saka. Toph can't tell who's lying because they're both telling the truth. Jet's been brainwashed. Judy. I'm Judy. Welcome to Bossing Say. Uncle Iroh yelling. Is it your own destiny or is it someone else's that someone has tried to force on you? Who are you and what do you want? Uncle Iroh. Uncle Iroh. Can we start on that one? Because we just we, we hit it with so much passion. I want to start with Uncle Iroh yelling. Yeah. There's not many times in the whole series that Uncle Iroh doesn't use that soft, calming tone to talk to Zuko, especially, right? Mm-hmm. There's 
one other time when in season one, book one, where Zuko almost dies in the dies in the when Zuko almost dies in the snow and is saved by Team Avatar, and Uncle Iroh is despondent and he says, like, you need to know what the hell you're doing with your life. Mm-hmm. You need to know you have to have a plan. And this is I think it works so well because they save when he emotes like this, when he yells like this. Because when he yells, you realize like he understands, Uncle Iroh understands like what I'm saying to this kid is not getting through. And I actually yeah. need to put force and put fire into this guy. Yeah, and I think Uncle Iroh really had to do this for Zuko to realize this confrontation is really important to Zuko's livelihood. Like Zuko never takes Uncle Iroh's um, little comments here and there, I feel like as seriously as this moment, because he is just distraught. Zuko's like, I don't know, like, but he needs to know. And I think Uncle Iroh pushes that on him. Like, you need to figure this out now. And I think it had so much passion and it really connects to the beginning where we see Zuko and Uncle Iroh talking a, a lot more like lightly but he does bring it up like you need to figure out your life so I think it was a very uh, well-rounded episode for Zuko and Uncle Iroh for sure Christian and like even last episode we talk about Avatar works so well because these emotional moments are absolutely earned right and here we see the way that these quotes are juxtaposed um, the Uncle Iroh yelling comes near the end of the episode, but they set up the problems between the two earlier in Uncle Iroh's tea shop when he gets an yeah. offer to begin his own tea shop. And you see that Zuko, while he wants, there's a part of him that wants this kind of peace loving um, life with his uncle. He is really upset that this is kind of what he's settling for and he's lost yeah. all track of what his mission is. And Uncle Iroh is really quick to spot it out and root it out and says like, there's nothing wrong with this. Um, I want. I suggest you think about what you want from your life and why you want it. And that's such a really powerful, you know, powerful twist here because Uncle Iroh always gets to the center and the core of the emotional truth that Zuko is carrying. And of mm-hmm. course, Zuko, his one his one way of responding is to go full angsty teen and goes, "I want my destiny." You know, like <laughs> it's just yeah. it's just so perfect, Zuko, how it's written. Yeah, and Zuko knows exactly what he is referring to. Like, what do you want in your life and why? And a big part of it, he just wants to redeem himself to his father that is not acknowledging him. And that's why I feel like Zuko says, I want my destiny. His destiny being like what his father said his mission was. And that's why I think later on, Uncle Iroh says, it's your own destiny. Like, don't let anybody else shape it. Right. And I think destiny for royal royalty in this time period is, is very complex, right? Destiny yes. involves the power of rule. And so Zuko, while I don't think he's ever like power hungry, all he really wants is his father's approval, his honor back and all that. But mm-hmm. it does come intertwined with the idea that Uncle Iroh in his this phase of life is so completely um, happy and and okay and fulfilled with a simple tea shop in the earth kingdom and zuko at his point in life has a lot more to earn and has a lot more to do on the Sokka. other side yes, yes. I, this, it's always such a great duality between the two right it's when when one one group is really struggling and going through internal turmoil the other group is just fucking laying down jokes and meeting other people but Sokka, tell us about Sokka here you know you always tell me that i'm like trying to Give Sokka points, but I mean, come on, Sokka this episode. But this episode, I mean, Sokka is able to catch on to something that the audience, I'm sure we can catch on, but we won't fully understand until Sokka says this, because this is when Jet is confronted with the Freedom Fighters, basically telling another story of what happened with Jet, and Jet says something else. And Toph says they're both telling the truth. It makes no sense. And prior to this, we find out that Toph can really detect when people are lying. And we mentioned it last episode because she says, your physical body will react when you're lying. And I can sense that through the vibrations. And so Toph couldn't sense any of that. And Sokka says this comment. And he gets that from Judy. Like he realizes Judy was brainwashed. 
which is why Sokka realizes, oh, Jet has been freaking brainwashed because he was taken by the Dai Li. And I think that's pivotal to us figuring out where the Dai Li's hideout is. So I, I think he played a really important part in this. This is the Sokka big upping portion of the episode that Christian <laughs> always brings up. So we're here now, fellas. We're here now, listeners. And I'm going to have to agree with you, right? Like, then the rest of the gang, their intuition says that something is incredibly wrong with Judy. And there's something weird going on with Lake Lao guy and even um, the Dai Li. But Sokka is the one to piece it together and really connect the dots that this is not an isolated incident, right? But this is happening systematically through people to people that have um, disagreed with the Dai Li and Long Feng's orders. So Sokka, yeah, once again, putting the pieces in action and making sure the knowledge is up to good use. You know what's crazy though? He really doesn't believe a lot of spiritual stuff, but he'd be really into conspiracies like brainwash, like taking over. So it's fun to see this other side where like, I feel like Katara and Aang and even Toph, they're so spiritual in a sense where they do rely on their bending and their point of view is through bending. They can't see certain things as Sokka does. Yeah, and it's, man, Sokka is interesting, right? Like uh, in marketing and branding, we always do the this, not that list. Like if I'm defining a brand, I talk about uh, Coca-Cola is talks like this but will never say that right and mm -hmm. Sokka is someone who is not spiritual will never be spiritual but believes in the kind of extraordinary at times and I think yeah. or believes in science right and I think that's how these two things always coalesce because Sokka believes there are things that are happening that are out of the norm and strange but it can be explained by either through nefarious science or through like a massive conspiracy. And um, that's kind of where he's uh, he's ahead of the other two, because as you said, Aang and Katara, while their um, compass, their moral compass, spiritual compass is on track, they often can't see the kind of political machinations of what's going on yeah. behind the scene. And speaking about the strange conspiracy going on, we uh, arrive in Lake Laogai, deep underneath Earth Kingdom grounds and find yeah. not one Judy, not two Judies, but the Judies. <laughs> the Judies. <laughs> it's really creepy. I remember watching this episode, like this specific part, and I was like, bro, this is really scary stuff. For a kid's show, it's a scene that's kind of past because the kids are like, oh, it's just like the bad guy. But I think as you get older, it's so scary to think like this is their political system. And many times, even though, you know, we might not be like, we're not brainwashed, but many times the media brainwashes us to only get to know what they want us to. Oh, damn. Christian pulling out the QAnon conspiracy theories. I love it. Let's <laughs> storm the Capitol. Come on. Uh, yo, you're right, though. You're right. It's for a kid show. It's so eerie and so terrifying. Even the way they use the colors of Bossing Say, right? They, mm -hmm. the, the walls of Bossing Say, the inner sanctum of Bossing Say really rich forest green, really beautiful green that um, is supposed to represent authority and majesty. And it's really beautiful to look at. But once you go underground, that green looks very murky and looks really like menacing at all times that there's yeah. something ill about what's going to happen, what's happening underneath the, the city, the city streets. And so, yeah, you're right. Any honestly, brainwashing stuff inside the lab is one of the freakiest things to me. Anytime a movie hits on it, like a like a Shutter Island or something like that. It like really creeps me the hell out. So had I watched this as a youth Christian, I would have been bugging. <laughs> you know, you say that, but I watched it as a kid. It just flew over my head. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe you got, you got, inter your brainwaves got intercepted and that's why you love all the crime, true crime. Because <laughs> inside you're all disturbed, you know? Are you calling me a disturbed human being? I'm just saying, look at look at your media diet and tell me something else, okay? Tell me that's not the truth. You've heard it here. Josh thinks I'm a disturbed woman. <laughs> that's the title episode, Disturbed Woman, Lake of Lao Guy, I am Judy, all that. Dude, free Judy out here. Free Judy on these streets. Yes. You know, this episode actually, well, this scene reminds me a lot of the puppet master, though even though that is my favorite episode, like the control that these 
Daily, not Daily, essentially like Long Feng has and the hopelessness that the people have. And it, it is really creepy. And I think seeing this kind of stuff, it's really disturbing. It's not even like, I'm not even scared of it, but it's so disturbing that someone could take someone's freedom away like that. No, for sure. And I think um, a big influence behind our podcast is uh, the ringer Spinge Mode. And they did a Harry Potter podcast. They talk about the unforgivable curses, especially the imperious curse, right? Where you place someone underneath your control. And um, that robbing of self-will, that complete kind of, uh, kind of desertion of your your own agency as a person is fundamentally really really uh, disturbed, right? It, it yeah. is really truly like the most uh, foul sin you can do to someone because you actively take you you take the freedom away from them. And mm-hmm. anytime you see that in person, like with a code word here, it's uh, the Earth King invites you to Lake Laogai. You see the gloss kind of come over um, the yeah. people of, of Judy and Jet, and they're just helpless their puppets to uh the larger will of long Feng. yeah isn't that similar to um bucky and captain america doesn't he have that like code word yeah. and then he just like bugs out oh my god that was i remember watching that and i was like no bucky no bucky can't help himself man <laughs> i know and, it, and yeah it just shares roots with like you know like uh old cinema like the manchurian candidate like it's like this guy who's like a war veteran running for president has been brainwashed by I mean, these are all like very racist caricatures of Chinese people and Russians, but they've been uh, they've been uh, brainwashed by like another government, another cell. So once you are in a trusting kind of place, they flip a switch with a code word and you turn into this kind of uh, sleeper cell soldier, sleeper yeah. cell politician, all that. Some very scary stuff in a kid's show, but they were able to balance it well enough that it wasn't like crazy creepy either. Cause we did see a lot of comical sides of Sokka too throughout this episode. And even the reunion of Appa, which I think really saved this episode and made it a bit more brighter. No, you're right. It's something, something we've been waiting for for a while. It's something that Long Feng even two thirds of the way into the episode threatens Zhang with is that I will keep your bison and you will never see him again if you don't leave the city at once. And so for Appa to come through and save the day at, at and and break through the the kind of walls is a huge is a huge uh, lift upper for for this uh, this episode. Yeah, and that also couldn't be done without Zuko's help. And even when Zuko was actively pursuing Ing, there were moments that Zuko really saved him. It's fun to see Zuko's constant battle in that way because I think it's very human. You know, it's not like soldier just going on a mission, but Zuko's actually like mentally and even physically constantly battling himself on what he wants to do moving forward. Right. And after like the first 12, 13 episodes when Zuko's actively trying to probably murder Aang, right? Capture and murder Aang. Anytime they've been in the vicinity of each other, Zuko is like doing things to kind of help Team Avatar secretly, uh, sometimes unbeknownst to himself. But here, Zuko finds, Zuko's the one who's um, smart enough to track Appa before anyone else does, right? Yeah. And I just want to talk about one of the fun keynotes of the episode um, that Zuko, (laughs) Zuko in his search for Appa, kind of corners the daily agent the daily agent goes um chases him down a kind of a, a corridor and then he shoots like uh he shoots his like rock fist at zuko the blue spirit in disguise and zuko put like up a scarecrow of the blue spirit i just think it's <laughs> hilarious that like zuko made this incredibly detailed dummy scarecrow with like a <laughs> yeah. full mask and like a, a life-size replica of himself like when did he have the time to like make this straw puppet and like leave that leave it there as a decoy zuko's just sewing like a like his clothes and straw together oh, i look something? like this <laughs> yeah, zuko, zuko would be in the mirror and be like oh man i'm maybe that maybe that's a little too tall like i'm not that that big of a guy it's like what the fuck <laughs> And how does he even hide that from Uncle, I- from Uncle Iroh? I mean, like, we know Uncle Iroh knows he's the blue spirit, but it's just funny to see all this unfold. He's such a tryhard at the end of the day. I think that's what I love. That's what we love about him. And he's so yeah. angsty. But behind the scenes, he's like, 
really about it you know he's like putting the work in which is honorable and and uh <laughs> and kind of fun to think about at the end of the day yeah it, it was a very short scene but when you really think about it it's like well someone had to make that dummy you know <laughs> christian can we talk about your second favorite person real quick um the freedom fighter jet of of the lost boys <laughs> So Jet's back. Uh, Jet's back. No. Not for long. He's not back for long. <laughs> so uh, one one of the thing, as as some of you probably know, we have, like we're working off a Google Doc here, a little peek behind the curtain. And Christian wrote, "What are some of the parts of the episode you like? These are things that we can fill in together." And like directly under, "What are some parts of the episode you like?" It says Jet's death. So Christian <laughs> really move that up and say, "Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan. I'm a firm. I'm I'm affirming Jet's death." here but uh jet as kind of a roller coaster episode before he uh he meets his uh his bitter end here but he died Katara an honorable fucks- end yeah. he did like he did and it's yeah. we we should say jet regained his own consciousness his own soul in the middle of the yeah. fight with ang because for a minute there in lake lao guy jet is completely hypnotized and loses uh his self again right yeah but i think you know, we joked about Jet's death for a very long time up till this point, but I, yeah, like really, honestly, we did. But rewatching it made me realize like Jet's death was very, like a lot more honorable than I remembered because I do remember he was controlled, but at the last moment, he truly saves Aang, you know? Like he is able to regain his own consciousness by himself and be able and is able to remember who he is. And he put himself there, but also it was just nice to see that he wasn't controlled until the end. He was able to control people's view of him at the end. And he, he died in the hands of his, of Smellerby, of, of someone of his gang that he loved. And uh, Jet is, you know, he's just a firecracker, right? You just can't take your eyes off him. He's kind of annoying at times, but at the same time, he's driven by his one, um, his like true inspirations, right? The for good reasons of fighting, and you see that up till the very end. I will yeah. say, I I forgot the way that he died, and I forgot who killed him. I thought it was just kind of a nameless Dali agent, but this motherfucker Longfang just mm-hmm. murdered Jet, bro. And it's this it's kid. interesting because yeah, this kid, this fucking child, as you say, he's he's just a kid. Uh, but we don't see a lot like earth bending. All the bending arts are so powerful but we don't see actual death happen on screen, right? We don't see yeah. like a bending delivering a, a death a death blow to a lot of characters. Jet is one of the very few that we see um, a direct strike from an earthbender actually connect to murder someone or to kill someone. And uh, this is kind of, it seems like Longfang, this is uh, just something that he does and, it's, and the Avatar universe faces a tragedy because of it yeah i feel like we don't really see that like you said we see people falling off cliffs we see how they die but we don't see the actual death itself i'm sure like you can like make the logical argument that if ang drops someone from the ocean into the ocean from like ten thousand feet up they're probably not gonna make it but it's also a cartoon right so you just imagine they're gonna kind of sploosh into the ocean they'll be yeah they'll kind of doggy paddle and be okay but jet you see jet not only get their wind knocked out of him by um, by this earth bending move, but actually like have some of so much of his like internal internal organs or whatever so messed up that even Katara's first look at him says like this is not good. I don't think he's gonna make yeah. it. Can but you touch then, on a couple of Katara points real quick? Yeah, of course. Katara is so, interesting in this. <laughs> yeah, Katara is not very excited to see Jet. She is probably still very hurt and felt uh, misled and kind of uh, heartbroken, <laughs> heartbroken. Uh, Katara f- be fucking up Jet pretty hard here. So she blushes at yeah. first when she sees Jet, but then immediately water bends him against the wall. And when she thinks he's going to reach for his weapon, like shoots ice picks at him to like really come close to like, not only like immobilizing him, but like possibly calling, causing him harm. And yeah. uh, our Katara's not only all grown up emotionally, she's probably not all grown up emotionally because this is a pretty emotional rash response to seeing like an ex, but <laughs> she is a master. Sifu Katara is bad. Yes. And you see the prowess of Katara's waterbending when she's emotionally distraught come to full fruition here again. I 
feel like with Katara, once you lose her trust, like it's game over. It's so hard to get it back. The first impressions are huge for her, but it takes a lot, I feel like, for her to distrust you. You're going to see Katara's trust be swayed again by Jet here. And then just two episodes later, we're going to hit on Suko's own abandonment of Katara, right? And mm-hmm. I think Katara's constantly let down by the people that maybe she's a, a little interested in or attracted to in some, <laughs> some strange way. And uh, Zuko will be the ultimate test of that. But before she gets to really um, judge her character with Zuko again, she has to go through seeing Jet killed. And I think that's yeah. going to be really limited in, in the future episodes. Yeah, and it's really, like, if you think about the context, they're all kids, and they've just seen someone maybe two years older than them die from a man, like a grown man, a government man. And it's just, I don't know, I don't know what that does to a person's psyche, you know, like, that's very scary to think about. And I think that's why they balanced it with the ending of Appa and that reunion. And I think that was really needed. No, you're right. And I think we have like close to four to five episodes where this is this is the ending, right? Where Appa comes out of nowhere and saves the day, like just using his big air bison body and then not only defeating the enemies um, that are attacking the gang, but also kind of whisking the gang away to safety. And the reunion is great, but it's again like... I think it's a reminder to to all the viewers that like do not take Appa for granted because this is what he brings to the yes. table. Yes. Yes. How did you sure. How did you feel when uh, you saw Appa flying back through? Like, do you remember the first time when you saw it? I remember. We, me and my sisters were watching it. We're like Appa, yes, because up until this point, we actually don't know what Zuko does. Like, we don't yeah. know if Zuko lets him go or he keeps him. So. While they're getting attacked, all you can hope for is that Zuko did the right thing. And I think that was an amazing transition where we see Appa, then we initial, then we automatically know, oh, Zuko set him free. So Zuko chose to follow his uncle. And I think that was such a good way to show Zuko's decision without having to show it. You're right. And it's a big turn. I mean, we say turning point, but he's going to turn back in a couple episodes on. So it's a weird one for Zuko. <laughs> but I think it's important. You're right, as, as you said, because Zuko is feeling like trash after doing this, right? Because it's completely at odds with what he, his mission was and set out to do. And the immediate uh, beneficiary of his decision is not Zuko himself, but the gang, right? So he won't see... Um, how the gang is in love with Appa and like are just like so overjoyed to see him. He just knows like he let himself down. Zuko let him let his old self down in a certain sense. So yeah. this is really important kind of uh, setup material for the future episodes in uh, the last two episodes of the season. Yeah, let's uh, let's yeah. jump into the next episode, episode seventeen, the Earth King. The gang regroup after reuniting with Appa and set their sights on meeting the Earth King. Zuko and his actions from the last episode cause his spirit to battle and collapses. After gaining the Earth King's trust, Long Fang is arrested and the gang finally present their plan for the day of Black Sun. Now from some of our favorite quotes of the episode. Sokka. <laughs> Looks like Long Fang is long gone. Uncle Iroh. Your critical decision, what you did beneath that lake, it was in such conflict with your image of yourself that you are now at war within your own mind and body. Uncle Iroh again. You are going through a metamorphosis, my nephew. It will not be a pleasant experience, but when you come out of it, you will be the beautiful prince you were always meant to be. Aang. Katara, I need to tell you something. I've been wanting to say it for a long time. Katara, I... The boys are back, yeah, we're going on a boys trip. That's your boy Sokka saying that. This is a victory for Sokka. Sokka somehow outplanned and outmaneuvered Long Feng. He used, whether he knew it or not, used all of his advantage. And Sokka was the one who was so obsessed with taking the knowledge he got from uh, from Wan Chi Tong's library of the day of Black Sun and presenting to the Earth King that he's mm-hmm. like, 
we can't leave the city without presenting this plan, without getting the Earth King on board. And um, I think that's important. And Sokka gets up to the Earth King. Finally, the gang convinced him that Longfang was uh, the kind of perpetrator behind the scenes doing all the, all the evil work. And Sokka is rewarded with one of his zingers, one of his one-liners, one of his yes. pride and joys. This is how you know they're kids. Like, they're like, yes, finally victory. And they don't like applaud it in like an adult way. They're like, ha ha. <laughs> I think that's so great though, right? And that's, you're right. It, it grounds it back into what the audience needs, which is like, you know, kids who are like, damn, we just went through like a, like a soul sucking hypnotism episode in Lake Lao Guy um, where someone was murdered. And now we can like, just joke about it and just have fun again. And uh, mm-hmm. Sokka is more often than not is a character that bring that kind of levity and heart to it. And now, like you mentioned, literally like five minutes ago, the physical difficulty that Zugo goes through because of his decision. And these two quotes are from Uncle Iroh explaining to Zuko why he's so physically ill and getting these flashbacks and mental torment of who he has always been and who he has kind of been groomed to be. Man, these are, yeah, you're absolutely right, Christian. And I think I've always loved this episode because Uncle Iroh is always the one to kind of weigh into the spiritual aspect of a character's development, right? The way that Zuko is hurting physically right now is absolutely um, a reflection of what's going on inside his own heart. And you see that through the two dreams he has, right? Both of them, I'd say, are very interesting because he does not have a scar in either of them, right? Mm -hmm. He's in the throne room of his first one and you have these two dragons kind of wrapping around his shoulders like angel and devil kind of kind of dragons here. Uh, The red dragon being Uncle Iroh's voice saying, stay strong, you gotta wake up, you gotta keep going, keep marching. And Azula is the blue dragon, of course, saying, you can sleep now, Prince Zuko, just forget about it, just sleep now. And so uh, this is kind of his warring spirits shown in duality of of, of the dragons in his life, right? The dragon Mm -hmm. of the West his uncle Iroh and the blue dragon. Uh, I guess that represents not only the Azula, but the blue spirit mask that he always puts on. And boy, this boy is so dramatic. Of course he would see this within himself, that his inside turmoil is these dragons fighting each other. <laughs> this is our boy Zuko, right? And um, he also sees his mother. He also sees his mother in the mm-hmm. throne room in that scene. Something that I don't think we really see in any other character other than Zuko going through this, maybe, we do see Aang and his like nightmares of like what he has to do. But I think for Zuko in this, it's interesting to see first see the two dragons. But like you said, he doesn't have a scar. And I, I, you know, I do want to theorize Hit me. what Oof. that really means. The two types of kind of mental dreams that he has are so different. And I think they signify different things when he doesn't have that scar. Because in the first one, he's in a setting where he's in the throne room, you know? So in some way, he might be kind of leaning towards Azula in a sense that he feels like he's redeemed himself. The scar is gone. Yeah. So it's like he hears Azula and he hears Uncle Iroh. These two people that have always been kind of in his head. But in that scene, he's in the throne room, meaning he's already, I feel like, put him in that self of this is where I am. And I've in some way maybe redeem myself without having that scar but in the second he's kind of with uncle Iroh without that scar and I think not having that scar is interesting because he sees himself he doesn't see it but when he feels it he knows he still has it so it's a matter of does he think that if he chooses uncle Iroh like he thinks the scar will be gone but it will be a burden that he will always have to carry and it'll be something that he'll never truly heal heal from and it's just like I don't know because that scene I feel like is more intense when you see this facade of who he wants to be when he chooses the path that Uncle Iroh wants for him but ultimately he knows what who he actually is oh man that you're right this is just so complex so heavy and um yeah, I guess it could be interpreted in so many different ways. I think I see, I see exactly where you're coming from because he still, the first thing he does when he wakes up is, is feel his scar, right? And is it 
a point of of shame for him still is it a, a a point of wishing that he never had it i think zuko continues to be like one of the wildest most triumphant story arcs ever because yeah eventually we'll see zuko not maybe not filled with pride about his scar but like come to an understanding that this is who he is and it helps shape who he is as a person mm -hmm. and as a leader um but in his two dreams here i know we mentioned the first throne room dream uh right before this but the second dream is that he wakes up completely um clean faced again but he wakes up now looking like yang as an air nomad right and he also doesn't have a scar there either so is it this kind of is his inner version of himself saying that he's no longer carrying the burden of that scar or mm. does that just mean that that's that's all he wants is to be free of that kind of burden at the same time like Dreams are, are are wild for a reason, but yeah, Zuko's dream always seemed to have to lead back to the shame and honor he feels around yeah. what his father did to him. And I think it's important he has this because, you know, later on we talk about his very wishy-washy behavior, but I think this behavior is very important in Zuko's journey because many times this only happens when things enter his life. He, yes, didn't like his life in Ba Sing Se, but was triggered when he saw the poster. Mm. Then he chose Uncle Iroh, but then was triggered again when he saw Azula. Like he's constantly choosing between them because they're just, in some way it, it seems messed up, but they're conveniently just there for him. He'll choose what he has. No, you're and right, you're right. he constantly has this battle until the end, I feel like, where he finally chooses for himself. I'm not doing this for Uncle Iroh, and I'm not doing this for my family. I'm doing this for myself. And I think Uncle Iroh constantly preaches that to him. But for Zuko, like, you know the love that he has for Uncle Iroh. And I do think, like, as a child, he chooses Uncle Iroh in that moment because he sees Uncle Iroh's desperate desire for him to do the right thing. And then he sees his sister and what that all that means. So he chooses that, but he never really chooses it for himself until later on when he's alone and has to refine himself. Yeah, no. And that's so real. I think that's that's so um, kind of powerful, Christian, what you just said, because Zuko thinks he's making this, these decisions, uh, that he has an active choice in it and not saying that our choices don't affect other people or we don't make choices on behalf of other people. But there's, I think, a clear dif distinction and difference when we make a choice to grow our own selves, right? And that can mm -hmm. include other people instead of having other people be at the very heart of your own character growth or character development or character stunting in some cases. So yeah, yeah Zuko is uh, the complex, dramatic uh, prince that we all know and love. He's going to continue to be this way all the way to the very end. And, now, and, and let, let me ask you about Aang. This is this is this, this is an Aang question. This is a uh, I want to ask Christian you as a, a woman who just in a relationship has been married. <laughs> who's I mean not hasn't married, is currently married, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, what also correct yourself. <laughs> who did we just it's come I'm sorry, I'm a little salty about Valentine's Day, okay? But I was in in it's not a full it doesn't hurt to be an avatar relationship corner, but I do want to say, I guess. There's no wrong time to confess your feelings to a person you love. Um, might as well get started sooner than later, right? But did you feel like this is a little out of nowhere that this happens at the end of this episode? Right? Is, I thought is, that too. I think what they're setting up for is Aang's dilemma in the next episode. That's why you have maybe. to kind of introduce it here. But I don't know why Aang is, maybe he's just so overwhelmed by the joy of finding out, but that he's like, I just have to hold people close to me, which is acceptable enough i just thought it was kind of strange to be like katara i finally have to tell you something that i've been waiting for you to tell you for you could have told him uh, you could have told her for a long time ago yeah, yeah. Um, how about tales of tales of boxing say how about you just go on a date with katara yeah. noob? <laughs> i do think there is a wrong time <laughs> like okay, you know yes. <laughs> i really think in this scene particularly I could kind of understand. I mean, he got up a back and he realized, like, in even in the beginning of this episode, he says, I missed you, Appa, so much more than, like, you'll ever know. And I think he comes to realize expressing that love and care is very important because you never know when you're going to lose them. And they're about to go to war. Like, you know, they have plans set up with the king and they're going to go to war. And I think that could be a part of it because... 
if you think about it later on when they have their little moments, it's in very stressful moments that they show this. And I think it reminds me of Harry Potter when when Longbottom is like, where is, where's Luna? And they're like, oh, she went this way, why? And he's like, we might die soon, so I should confess my love to her. And Hell I was yeah. like, this is what it is. He's just like, I don't know, we're gonna go to war in a couple months. I don't know what's gonna happen until then. I need to tell you something. And I'm into it, man. I lo- love a Neville moment. Let's go. Yeah, that might be kind of the the feel that they were trying to go for, but I do think it was more to set up the next dilemma that they have moving forward. Okay. I mean, I never like to be cheated in romance love arcs. Okay. I want the best for our for our gang. I don't want things <laughs> to be forced, but I will admit. It does ladder up to a very nice season finale, book finale in the next yes. episode. So stay tuned. It's probably it's one of the biggest IDHTA avatar relationship corners because there's a very important choice that Ang makes that will have mm-hmm. some repercussions. Yes. And that is a discussion let's- we need to talk about. <laughs> Ooh. All right, Christian, let's talk about some of the parts of the episode that uh, you thought were spectacular, interesting, that you want to talk more about. So there was there were a couple side stories at the end of this because this the ending of this is like another type of tales of bossing say where everyone is just having to deal with their own problems because at the end of this episode everyone splits ways. Sokka mm. goes to see his dad. Katara stays and tries to help with the Earth Kingdom. Toph goes to visit her quote-unquote family and Aang goes to meet the guru. This is such a stressful ending. I remember watching this as a kid and I was like (laughs) the world is ending. What is going on? I need to watch the next episode now. So a couple of things. Katara is met by the Kyoshi warriors who are not the Kyoshi warriors. It's Azula, Mei, and Tai Lee. And the face of shock, that's the end. Sokka doing his own thing, the boys doing his own thing, but Toph, she doesn't meet her family. She meets the very long awaited capture that these two men have been trying to get to. And you kind of forget about this. You kind of forget that this is actually going on, but it was an amazing way to bring this up. Man, this cliffhanger was one hell of a way to say, stay tuned to the ne- next episode, right? One thing we're made sure of is if you don't hear from Azula in an episode or two, you know she that girl's scheming. That girl yeah. is scheming hardcore. She's and the last, the last thing we saw her is of like in Appa's Lost Days, right? When when she just kind of like, she's battling the Kyoshi Warriors. And the next time you see Azula, she has adopted their costumes, put on the makeup and is ready to overthrow a damn kingdom. So yeah, Azula, a very Azula heavy episode next week, and we cannot wait for it. A couple points I wanted to make about the Earth Kingdom raid, right? First, I want to note how far we've come in the bending arts, right? I still remember Toph and Ang unable to do a simple water whip to get away from pirates, right? The, the pirates are like the the little Goombas of the Mario Kingdom, like little things, mushrooms you can hop on and kill, and like it's not a big deal. But now, as, as the whole gang approaches and um, tries to, tries to uh, overthrow the capital in a certain way, yes. um, the Toph's movable earthbending wall as she's going up the, up the kind of staircase mm-hmm. and fighting all the, all the people, deflecting all the kind of earth bullets coming her way, it's truly masterful bending work. And I think we've seen the power of what true masters can do in the past couple in this whole season but Toph is on a different level with this kind of um, earth bending and the fact that one of the last moves that the Dai Li and the security do to try and stop the stop the gang is to throw these giant anteater stone statues at the gang and Toph and Aang together do this earth bending kind of um, shield to to break the anteater you realize how powerful not only um, Toph is has always been but the avatar has become an earth bending and I think that's a really cool part of the episode yeah, I think it's super important because we never get to see Aang's growth in earthbending up until this point. Like, yeah. 
Aang is actively helping Toph. Like they were both changed the stairs and then started just going up the kingdom stairs like an escalator super fast. And that scene in itself shows how much Aang has improved which we don't really see. And we can just assume that, you know, time has also passed. He's been um, learning from Toph, but I, I thought it was amazing too, because we see Toph fight in the ring, but we don't really see this live action, um, I guess fighting like the war in this sense. And it was such a crazy fast scene too. Like, they're just like, we need to get to the damn kingdom. And they're just like, basically like torpedo, torpedoing through all the Dai Li and everything. And that goes to show that they also kind of controlled themselves when it came to knowing the skeptical side of the Dai Li because mm -hmm. of Appa. Like they didn't fight them because the risk of losing Appa. And it just goes to show they weren't really helpless. They just chose to wait. Oof. It's the team avatar is just growing in kind of intuition as, as we go forward. And it's wild because I want to talk about the encounter inside a throne room with Long mm -hmm. Fang, the gang, and the Earth King. First off, you realize how much it's like these are, it's a king, it's a grown ass king, a grown ass evil ass Long Fang, soldiers everywhere. And then you have like these 13 year old kids, a, a, a group of four 13 year old kids. And that's really apparent and clear when they're inside this giant palace, right? But I think this is truly important because this is a pivotal moment for the Avatar, right? We've seen it happen with not only um, Avatar Roku, but Avatar Kyoshi before that, that when there's a kingdom stepping out of line, the Avatar, it has to be the one to like buck all governmental rules and approach the king or queen mm. um, with force. And Aang does this in his own way, right? They like first, the entire team Avatar get into the throne room by doing exactly what you said, escalator, earth escalator up straight up there, disabling all the kind of enemy commands there. And they get there and the earth king's like, how can I trust you? And Aang's like, we're put down our weapons right now. Like we're here to help, we're friends. And I thought that was a really nice twist on like when Roku, you know, Avatar state tornadoes up to Fire Lord Sozin and like, Put, pins them against the wall and says like you need to stop this right now or the next time i will end you right and yeah. ang is just like there's still maybe a way to kind of avoid this conflict mm -hmm. and avoid having to use for uh, force all the way to uh kind of capital punishment here yeah i feel like in every avatar we see different methods and reactions when it comes to their authority being tested or when they see imbalance in the system so it, I really like that approach too from Aang, but also it's interesting how like they feel so threatened by this small group of 13 year old kids too. And that just goes to show they truly understand the power that the Avatar has regardless of age. Right. And it's the Earth King who's, Long Feng slips up and says like, the you can escort the Avatar and his friends out of here. And the Earth King's like, oh, the Avatar? Like it's just like- Hold oh, up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there is still respect that needs to be given to Aang and the whole yeah. Team Avatar itself. But it shows the Earth King knows nothing. He's trash. Like, He's a trash dude, character. He is the only Airbender. Look at his arrows. <laughs> I'm, He's so fucking I'd clueless. I'd really be surprised if he didn't even know that the Earth, like the Avatar, was back knowing he didn't know about the war or anything. He's like, oh, the Avatar is back? Like, you know? Yeah, no, let's get into the psychology of that for a second, right? Because if he believes there's no war, then naturally the Avatar, he would believe the Avatar is like out there doing things. And like him as himself as the Earth King, shouldn't he have a relationship with the Avatar already on terms of like, pl like planning out the world, the world stage? Yeah. Like this guy is so freaking dumb and so clueless and idiotic that um, he doesn't even ask any of these questions until Long Feng accidentally slips that into a uh, conversation. Also, he's not that old. Before he became king, was he not informed of any of this? I don't know, man. I'm tired of that dude. Like, I'm, I'm really sick of him. I, I don't even like a he, bear. He's young, meaning who he was probably, his father died and then he took over. But his father had to have known stuff unless, same thing, the Daily was controlling that situation it's just like thinking about that complex situation you wonder and think maybe the daily put the king 
in his position because he knew he was young. He knew he was going to trust Long Feng. Like, it's just interesting to think about. For sure. And uh, to be honest, it goes back to, uh, it's a sick twist of fate because Avatar Kiyoshi is the one who acts to, um, actually established a daily in the first place. It was a compromise. Avatar Kiyoshi made a compromise with the ruling elites of Basing Se that says like, we will, you will have to uh, democratize your society, but you will keep, you will be allowed to keep an elite fighting force to maintain Basing Se cultural authority. And what they, what that force ended up becoming is the Dai Li who essentially stomped out all idea of democracy and kept only the elites and a puppet master up in the head. So yeah. maybe Kiyoshi to blame. I mean, we do see that every generation, not every generation, but every cycle, as much as that avatar has helped, the next avatar needs to kind of deal with the past avatar's mistakes. We see that even in Aang and Korra. Like, Aang's amazing ability to find out that there's a way to take somebody else's bending away to prevent wars like this ended up causing a different type of war absolutely so i think that yeah in some sense kiyoshi is to blame but also you can't solve like a person can't solve the world's problem in one cycle which is why in this reality it's there are reincarnations that they need to deal with that so beautifully said i love that you can't solve the world's problem in worlds in one cycle and uh yeah, you're right. And I think that's what the beauty of this show is that no avatar, including Aang, even though he is as close to perfect as we've seen a human being, has his flaws and has his issues. So it's up to the next avatar to not only reap the burden of some of the, some of his issues and problems, but also try and extend the legacy that the avatar was good at and making and creating. Yeah. And I think that just goes to show the humanness of everybody that you really, honestly, the problems that you'll solve in this generation, there will be more in the next. And instead of looking at that as a discouragement, you look at that as realizing you are, we are all flawed human beings. And the best we can do is literally just try our best. And if that's not what we do, that's the mistake we make. Honestly, people, listeners, hit up Cabbage Corp to solve all your problems because that was fire. We, we got to, that, that's awesome. We're going to keep on giving advice to all the avatars in the future. Avatar, the next avatar, if y'all need any counseling. Yeah, avatar counseling. <laughs> yeah, cabbage man lives. Let's go. Christian, right. can we get to, can we get to some, some avatar power rankings right now? How do you feel? Yeah, let's, do you have anything else you want to add before we get into this? No, I'm good. I'm just confused on who should win, but yeah. Let's, <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Okay. So Avatar State score is actually still at nine. Important, as we just said, because Aang could have gotten Avatar State into the throne room and just like demanded he speak to the Earth King, but he used diplomacy at the very yeah. end. Not in the beginning, but at the very end he did. <laughs> not at the beginning. Yeah. He should have killed Long Feng. I'm not saying it, but I'm saying it. You know what I'm saying? Yes. But you know Aang, he don't like to kill. He, you know, that's Except not for his the life. Chicken eggs that he'd be eating. Come on, Egg. <laughs> egg He's custard. a murderer. You know what we should do? We should try to find the best egg custard place. And we need to try these. We need to try these because, you know, you may not know, but Josh and I are big foodies. Not just big foodies, but we love dessert. And I think we need to find this egg custard. We, we have to find yeah. this. We'll have, a, we'll have a Cabbage Corp uh, meetup and we'll all, anyone who wants to come, will go on an egg custard tour of Los yeah. Angeles and we'll be trying egg custards from all across. We should, we definitely should have a, have a foodie series of Ooh. all the things. All right, so power rank. I want to start by eliminating certain people. So yes. it's for us, you know, like, you know, when you take a multiple choice test, you gotta eliminate the ones you don't, you know. So I don't think no Azula, no Aang, um no Katara I think Oof. those it's like because Aang yes but I don't think he plays an amazingly big role um not I, Azula we don't even see this girl yeah, until yeah. the end so sure. I'm gonna just write no over here so it's easier for us to see 
what do you think? Who do you want to eliminate? Or do you not agree with like Ng and Katara? No, let's get rid of let's get rid of Katara. I don't think Katara okay. is nece- like necessarily the most important person in this episode. Um I say Toph, as much as I appreciate her earthbending, I don't think she advances the plot very uh, very mm-hmm. particularly yeah. for her, her own thing. Oh man, I don't like where this is heading. I do like Zuko. Because but I Zuko feel like in the in the next episode, I don't know. But we're talking about, about this. We gotta be. Right. You right. just gotta think about this because if you think about it, Zuko. Without Zuko, they wouldn't have had Appa. Ultimately. Without Uncle Iroh, they wouldn't have had Appa. That is true. So who do we think for this moment? All right, let's Uncle let's Iroh run or Zuko. So Uncle Iroh. First in the, in episode uh, in episode sixteen, gets a new tea shop. Let me just say that. Okay, he's Whoa, he's scouting. Okay. He gets his dream job. Okay, let me just say that's a big thing. His counsel to Zuko is eventually heard when he starts yelling at Zuko, which is a check mark. And at the end of the day, he convinces Zuko. To let Appa go, I don't. I think Zuko might have done with something really stupid if Uncle Iroh wasn't there. To be honest, I think he might have. That is true. I think that's why maybe that was the only right reason why Uncle Iroh intervened is because he knew that mm. Zuko would make the wrong decision. That's really real because I think. Oh, that is true. There's a point in this where Uncle, if Uncle Iroh knew that Zuko would do the right thing, like he would have stepped back. He want he would want Zuko to have this learning moment. But I think there's a part of him that's like. This motherfucker gonna do something stupid right now, you know? So <laughs> yeah, even like, if he had hope, out. even if he had hope, Zuko would do the right thing. Okay, bye, Zuko. <laughs> yeah, Zuko, no. I'm sorry. I know it's just just to be this episode, but like the next turn is so heart wrenching and yeah. gut But also, Uncle Iroh does kind of tell Zuko what's going on in him. So I don't know. Why do you think Aang shouldn't be eliminated though? Like Aang, you know, did his thing, but I feel yeah. like. I don't know. Like he didn't lead other than the ending in any way. Right. And even in the ending, I'm sorry to say, but Sokka was the one that got the the king's trust. It was Sokka at I the agree. end, ultimately. I agree. So Sokka yeah. be leading this whole thing. He got them to like Lao Guy. He got them to realize Jet was brainwashed. He got them to, he convinced everyone we need to see the Earth King. So I don't know. I think Sokka I, I was really leading. I hate this. <laughs> so it's Uncle Iroh or Sokka. Like, which story plot are we following? You know what really hurts is that <laughs> because I'm holding the next episode against Zuko, Uncle Iroh's counsel is, is kind of short-lived here, right? His victory... Uh... Because so you know who it is. Oh God! I, who would I don't want the water tribe. The Southern Water Tribe will be on top. I'm so I'm gonna cry. You're gonna make me cry for three weeks in a row, Christian. This is not okay. This week's winner of the Cabbage Corp Power Rankings is none other than Saka of the Southern Water Tribe. What are we doing here? This is incredible. I'm starting to like him more and more. Sokka is really pivotal in this. I think um, he also coins, at the end of the day, he coins uh, the strategy, battle strategy, war strategy name, the Day of Black Sun. It's kind of a gangster gangster hammer line. Sokka is also the one who's really encouraging the team to to not celebrate their small victory of getting Appa back, but being like, we have to do what we came for. Mm-hmm. And he's also the one who says there's a way to prove that Long Feng is lying and then brings Appa into the courthouse to show Appa's teeth mark. So yeah. here we are. Saga tied with Katara at first place. These freaking water tribe uh, sibs. They be the, sneaking the, up on the, us. They are sneaking up on us. All right. All right. And now, now that we've seen what Christian can do with her political maneuvering to get Sokka. <laughs> I will be actively doing that for, for the other, other characters of this. Uh, All right. Other characters. 
Oh, but Sokka, congratulations, bro. You did it again. If you're a big fan of podcasts or want to just show some love and support to the Capricorn podcast, go sign up for Stitcher Premium today at stitcher.com slash premium for only $4.99 a month. With Stitcher Premium, you get access to ad-free episodes, comedy albums, and exclusive episodes from Stitcher. If you just want to check it out and you don't really know if it's for you, don't worry. If you use our promo code WARRIORS at checkout, you get a month free on us. So go check it out. Thank you guys for listening to the Cabbage Corp Podcast. And make sure to follow us on Instagram at Cabbage Corp Pod. See you guys next Wednesday. Looks, Looks like, like Long Fake is Long, 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 long.